good day in Christ today, regardless of what the devil throwed at you. You know, <laughs> yeah, we know that beast throws things at us. Uh, Cheryl, she went to Houston this afternoon with her daughter. Her daughter, you know, of course, heard her mother sing a lot, but uh, Christy was going to uh, get in some kind of contest. I forget what it is, but some kind of contest, and they're going to sing down in the morning at 10 o'clock. So I told her, I said, y'all go this evening. Don't wait till Bible study, you know, because if, you, if you're here till 9 or 9.30, Bible study, and then drive to Houston, that's four hours. That means you're going to be up late, and then if you've got to be there in that studio tomorrow with all them other people at 10 o'clock to sing, I said, I'd rather y'all get out of here and get down there at a reasonable time. So she's not here tonight. She's on the way to Houston. Praise the Lord. And I guess since I said that, I better turn my telephone off. Or put it on silent or something here, uh, because I know what will happen. She told me, said, as soon as Bible study's over, give her a call. Let me know what's going on. I told her, okay, I will. Evening, Brother John. Praise the King. Well, the one thing the Lord says, that to them that will serve me on this earth, you will be persecuted. I mean, so, I don't like that. You know, it looked like he could have made this system a little better, you know, but he didn't. And I guess he knew what he was doing. And when the, we, I'm thinking about that this afternoon, and as I'm meditating on some of those things, I get out that set of pictures that I was given the other day. I think there's 40 of those pictures, isn't there? I think there are 10 pages of four. And the first one starts out at 10 million light years across the galaxies. Now, I don't know how they do that. But, you know, a light year, you know, 186,000 miles an hour in one, 186,000 miles in one second, not in an hour. 186,000 miles an hour is pretty fast. But 186,000 miles in a second is a whole lot faster whole lot faster, and how they can do this and say that they start out with 10 million light years. I mean, I can't even comprehend that. And then they go to 1 million light years, and there's a great big beautiful, looks like a flower, big beautiful thing, and those are stars, you know, and everything. And I just keep going on down by powers of 10 until you get down 40 times. And you come from out there to the most intricate parts of a leaf laying on the earth and all the way down into the atom. And then I thought, you know, if Jesus was standing here beside me looking at that, and he was really, but he didn't say anything, it would be awesome for him to say, and son, if you think that's something, let me take you down another 10 powers down in there and show you what I got down in there. Or if you think what you saw at 10 million light years is awesome, let me take you out there one day and show you what happens 30, 40, 50, and 100 million light years across. Wow. And you think you can know God. <laughs> he's a little bigger than we can comprehend, isn't he, Michael? But to think he's our God. And that's a beautiful part. And when we do what he says and read his word, Wow. He is an awesome God. But you've got to start thinking like that just a little bit and think like Him if you want to see Him do miracles and healings and all the wonderful things He does. You've got to think like Him, or at least to the most we can with this little tiny 
thing we got up here that I was listening to Dr. Carl Bach talk about the brain the other day on his show. He has on uh, TBN. And I forget, I forget the numbers, how many, uh, four billion or something brain cells that you normally have when you're born. But yet before you actually, during the birth process or something, half of them die. You know, so instead of having four billion, you only got two billion. Or if you had two billion, you only have one billion. But each of those, let's say you had one billion, since I don't remember all these numbers, he knew them all. <clears throat> but let's say you had two billion and then you had one billion after you were born. Each of the one billion cells, which I couldn't even fathom, a billion, but each one of them as an engineer blows me away to think that each cell is more intricate in its makeup than the entire switching system for the London telephone system. <laughs> some of y'all that may not mean much, but some of the some of the switching systems and networks we've done with some of these, like you take just a small little uh, ice factory or something that covers a building about twice this size, you know, with all the automation and the chutes and the dropping mechanisms and the freezing systems and the thawing mechanisms and the, the cutters and all that stuff to automate all this ice. I'm telling you, there's some switching stuff that goes on just in one of those rooms. And that's nothing compared to the entire London telephone switching system. And you got a billion of them kind of brain cells up there that one of them, is that intricate? And God made that? And you're going to think we're going to understand the king of the universe? Let me tell you. It's kind of amazing when you stop and think about he made you and me in his image and his likeness. Wow. <clears throat> well, he gave us a set of rules to go by, didn't he? Well, tonight we're going to read up on some of these rules. Because I like to do what God tells me to do. Now, this is, this is tough to do. But it can be done. The reason it's tough to do is because we have two enemies that fight against us. Number one, this beast that we live in we call the flesh. This critter is lazy. You know, it wants to take the least path, path of least resistance in everything it does. It don't want to work. It wants to oversleep. You know, it don't, I mean, y'all don't have this trouble like I do, do you? <clears throat> this beast wants to Go to bed early. It wants to get up late. It wants to eat everything that looks good and is fattening. And it wants more than it should have. You know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a daily thing. I can understand what Paul says. I now have to beat my body to bring it into subjection to me. Because we have to do the same thing. Our bodies want to overindulge in everything. I mean, you know, it's a whole lot easier to go home in the afternoon and plop down in an easy chair and maybe turn on a TV program or something or a radio and kick your feet up and, and eat popcorn and drink a soda pop. That's, that's what your body wants to do. But that won't get you anywhere with God. That won't produce any results with the Lord. But what we're going to talk about tonight will bring results with the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to open your word and to study it. Lord, help us to realize that there is two enemies here on this earth, the flesh and the devil. 
We can't see the devil, but we know he's real because he works on the flesh and he works on our man. So, Father, we ask you to reveal all these things to us better so we'll know who our enemy is so we can learn how to capture these thoughts and beat this devil and to beat this flesh where we can walk in the God kind of love. Lord, we thank you for showing us how to do it. And Lord, we ask you to reveal that to us in depth tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I've always wanted, after I started reading the New Testament, and I began to see in the New Testament all the things that the men and, and women in the book of Acts did, I wanted to walk in that. I thought, why is it nobody... Nobody is walking in these things today. I just, the churches that I went to, I didn't see any miracles or any healings. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's not normal, is it? It's not normal to see God do these kind of things. But in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it just happened everywhere. I thought there's something wrong here. I should be able to see these same things. I've just got to find out what these men did so I can do the same things. And so I begin to study the Word of God really, really, really close. And these are some of the things I found out that I have to do. And I realize there's many, many sections now about this. And there's many things that God requires us to do. But this, I think, is the first one. And this is the most important one. And if you don't do this, then nothing else is going to work. And this is where the enemy gets us. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, he makes us an awesome statement. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and I'll give you just a minute to get to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And it says, Now abideth these three, now abideth faith, Hope and love. These three. But the greatest of these three is love. Is that what it says? Okay, so the greatest of these three is love. So if the greatest of these three, faith, hope, and love, if the greatest one's love, then we need to start with that one and find out how to walk in the God kind of love. Because if we don't have that, obviously nothing works. Now, that word there in the Greek is agape. That word, some Bibles is, calls that charity. Some calls it love. Depends on what translation you have. But you know the word love we use very loosely today. I mean, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it's not uncommon. You know, I might just look up and I say, man, I love popcorn. Especially if it's got lots of butter on it. I love popcorn. And then I might turn around and look at my wife and say, I love my wife. Well, I hope, hey, I hope that will mean the same thing. You know, because if I love my wife like I love popcorn, I, you know, she might be offended. <laughs> she might not like that. So we use the word very loosely. But anyway, the word love in the Greek is the word agape. And that agape, actually that word in the Greek is the God kind of love. Because it's not the other kinds of love. There's three kinds of love translated in the Greek. But the one that's the most important is that agape. And that love is a God kind of love. And that's the one this is. 
Now then, why is God's love greater than hope or faith? Because see, it says here these three, but the greater of these is love. Now why? Well, let's see if we can find some scriptures that will tell us why love is greater than all these others. And I'll have to say that when I read 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 8, this, may, this really hit me, just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm reading that one day in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. So if you don't have any love, you don't know God. So if you don't know the love of God, then you're in deep trouble. If you want to get God to do something for you, if you're not willing to walk in love. Now the devil will really put you to the test. Now now that Cheryl's not here tonight, maybe she won't listen to this tape. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all a little story that happened to us here a while back. We, we'd been to church and it was Sunday night, and after we got through with Sunday night church, we started home. And we stopped and had a bite to eat, and then we talked a while and everything. We started home, and I don't even remember what was said, but she said something, and I answered it. But obviously, when I answered it, I answered it wrong. Now, I know none of you husbands ever done that besides me. But I answered it wrong. And when I answered it wrong, she didn't like the answer, so it set her off. And so she began to read me the riot act. Now, I know none of you guys ever had your wife do this to you, so that's why I share this with you all. You know, to let you know that, you know, you, you can, you can be a pastor and still have these kind of problems with your wife. You know, it's, it's just a man woman thing. But anyway, she, and she talked for about 15 minutes and I thought, wow, what did I do? You know, I mean, how did this light her fuse like this? So we get about halfway home and she stops talking finally. And I said, well, I need to try to, you know, make amends or something. And Deborah, that was the wrong thing to do. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Because the deeper I, more I said, the worse I got. The deeper in I got. And so, woo! Now, it really set her off. So from there all the rest of the way home, man, all she does is read me the right act. And I just quit talking. I thought, Lord, I am in trouble. I, I, don't, I don't understand this, Lord. What did I do? But I done something wrong. I said, Lord, I'm just going to be quiet. So, you know, there's a time whenever the best thing you can do is just not say nothing. You guys know what I mean? Unfortunately, probably all of us know what I mean. So, anyway, we get home. I didn't say a word. We're unloading the car. I'm taking stuff, putting it in the ministry center. And she's walking back toward the back, talking out loud, you know. So, I know she's still upset. You know, when your wife's talking and you're not even there, you know she's upset. So, she goes back in the ministry center and I hear her talking as she goes out of sight. And then I go back out the back and put some stuff, and I go over to the shop and put some stuff in the shop. And a little while, I see her or hear her, honey, where are you out there? And so I come around the edge of the shop, and there's no light out there. And I said, yes, honey, I'm here. She said, will you come over here? I said, yes, I'll be right there. So I come up there. When I come up there, she was crying. I said, are you all right? And she said, will you forgive me? And I said, well, of course. 
And she just grabbed me and hugged me and cried. She said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, well, that's okay. I said, I didn't understand how what I said lit you off so, but I said, I, I don't understand what's going on. And I, since I know that we never know each other's heart, I just felt like the best thing I could do is just be quiet. I said, what happened? She said, well, you know, I was very upset at you. I said, yeah, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. (laughs) So I was just being quiet, trying to stay out of trouble. And I said, what happened? She said, I was in there fussing. And I was, God, what is, what is it? What am I supposed to do with this man you gave me? And she said, the Lord spoke to me and said, love him. Love him. And she said, okay, Lord, I'll love him. I thought, boy, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I sure did need that, Lord. But I'm telling you, it's probably been most of you guys have needed a time like that yourself. But you didn't get it. But, I, Lord, I'm so grateful you spoke to mine that night because I needed that help. Because when he spoke to her that night, that changed everything. I mean, the whole night after that was okay. But isn't it amazing how we can get so upset can you imagine now what God would say to every one of us when we have a problem with our mate or anybody else? And you get all upset and you're fussing and everything. If he would speak to you, which he has from the word, and he says, love them. That's what I'm telling you. Love them. Now then, he says, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. So if you can have that God kind of love... Then you can love people when they're not lovable. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's times in every man and woman's life, because I was married a long time, the first time that my wife died, and then I've only been married a short while to Cheryl. But I realized that there's never been a man and a woman that at times, because the body chemicals change and everything else, when you can be into a point where nothing you say to the other one is right, you know, it seems like nothing is right. And you feel like you're having a knockdown drag out, but yet two hours later you're loving each other and holding each other in your arms. I mean, you, have you seen that before? Have you seen it where the things are so bad whenever you don't even want your mate in the house? You don't care if you never see them again? Tell them to get out. I don't care if I ever see you again. You ever, you ever encountered anything like that? Some people have. But then a couple hours later, you're resolved, you're okay, you're ready to go to dinner together or whatever, and you think, you know, what made me do such a dumb thing? What made me say those kind of things that make my mate or somebody else? It doesn't necessarily have to be your mate. It could be somebody else. But if you have this kind of love in you that we're talking about tonight, you can overcome all those problems, all of them. But you have to do it God's way. you got to know the Lord because He has put that love in us if we are His children. Now, if you can't reconcile and you can't love, then you don't know God because that's what He says. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Now, can God lie to you? No. So if you can't love, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to get saved because you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, that love is in there. Now, there will be times when the devil will come by along with the flesh and he'll get you out of that love walk. But that love walk will come back. And that devil, he knows all these things. Now then, here's something else the enemy knows really well. 
He knows that your faith works by love. And if he can get you out of a love walk, then your faith won't work. So if you're not walking in love, you can't pray the prayer of faith and see God do healings and miracles. He won't do it for you. He will not answer your prayer. And that's very important. So you see, love is greater because faith will not walk, will not work unless you're walking in love. Now then let's go to a scripture that confirms that. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. When you go to Galatians chapter 5, Verse 6, you will see, now it's amazing how God put all these little things strung out all throughout the Word of God so that you have to study. That must be why he put in his word, study to show yourself approved unto God. I mean, he didn't say you to read that thing, did he? He told you to study his word. And if you don't study his word, then you're not keeping his commandments and therefore you're sinning. Anything that's not of faith or according to the Word of God is a sin. So it's too easy to sin. So that's why we need to study the Word. But when you look at this, look at this little line here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. For it says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh. By love. Isn't that something? How he hid those little things in there? You you have to really be paying attention to get that. Your faith works by love. Now, if faith works by love, if the enemy can get you out of a love walk, then guess what? Faith don't work. And so you go to pray for somebody without faith, what happens? That's absolutely right, brother. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What if you try to pray the prayer of faith for somebody and you've got unconfessed sin in your life? What happens there too? Nothing. Nothing. The devil knows all of that. So that's why if he can get you out of a love walk and he can get you into some kind of sin, I mean, that's just like, I think about many, many people in here, but I think about this one young lady that, has, you know, got such, there's been so many of you that's received miracles from the Lord. But I think about this one young lady that had a problem for many, many years. And she came to me and said, now Thurman, it's been nearly two years ago, she came to me the first time. She said, I have been prayed for at least a hundred times in the last few years. And I've never had any kind of results or any kind of change. She had excruciating pain, and she had had all kinds of problems in her body, multiple things wrong with her. And she said, nothing has ever changed. And I said, well, how long have you been down with this? Well, 30 years, you know, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years. I hear this all the time. And I said, well, what were you doing 30 years ago that was sin? And so she thought, and she said, "Uh uh-oh, I was doing this. I said, okay, that's sin. And I said, in fact, what she actually had done, she moved in with a young boy for a little short period of time. Now, how many people today in church that are, say they're members of church, goes to church and live with somebody out of wedlock and don't know that sin? But you know, if you don't know that, you're pretty dumb. You ain't studied the word at all. 
But in today's society, you turn any television on and that's all you see. You know, so why does anybody think this is wrong? Hey, it's sin. So anyway, this girl had moved in with a boy just a little while. And by living there, she had opened the door to a devil. And she got involved in a car wreck and caused a whiplash. And it had excruciating pain in her body and many other things that happened to her over the years. Been prayed for multitudes of times. Nothing ever happened. She came here and I told her, I said, number one, you got to repent of that sin before God will heal you. So she repented of the sin. I told her, number two, I said, in Jeremiah 1.12, the Lord says he watches over his word to perform his word. So I said, what scripture have you been standing on for your healing? Well, she said, I don't guess we ever stood on a scripture for my healing. And I said, and you saw what you got. Nothing. See, you have to do this God's way. So we found a scripture that she could stand on. And I'm not sure which one we used for her. But I think it was Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, where Jesus said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. You can drive out devils and lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Now then, after she repented, now this will work. If it's done in faith and love. Is that right? Okay. So two years ago, I we got that scripture after she repented. And I told her, I said, now, I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to rebuke this spirit. It's going to leave. And the king of the universe is going to heal you. I guarantee it. And I touched her in the name of Jesus. And she was instantly healed. Now, see... If you do it God's way and you meet all of His criteria, what does He do for you when you pray for somebody in faith walking in love? Woo! Doesn't that open a whole new door? Doesn't that make you want to walk in love, brother? It does you and me, doesn't it? it when, once you see God do something like that, and maybe especially if it's your own baby or something, it never, you, can't, you won't never be the same, can you, brother? You can't never be the same. See, see I know He did that for His baby. I don't, how old was your baby, three or four? Five years old? Yeah. He prayed for his baby. Him and his wife repented. And he prayed the prayer of faith. And the Lord, just first instantly, y'all watched her get well right before your eyes, didn't you? Isn't that awesome? He told me the other day when he was telling me about this testimony, he said, I won't never be the same again. Hey, when you see God do something like that, it makes you want to walk holy before the king, doesn't it? Yeah, whenever somebody says those miracles went away, <laughs> uh, uh, when you've done what you did, brother, and seen your own five-year-old instantly healed before your very eyes, when you, you and your wife repented and you prayed the prayer of faith as a priest of your home, and the king of the universe instantly healed, hey, don't tell me it don't work. I've seen it work. And like I say, when you've seen it work, that makes you want to really straighten your act up. And people say, you know, but, you know, you got to be, a preacher or whatever. To, no, 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 no. All you got to do is be a man of God. That's all you got to do. A man that loves God, that's meeting his criteria. You don't have to be nothing special except one of God's children. Walking in the criteria that he requires. Now then, <clears throat> second, you notice that your faith will not work without hope. You notice hope was up there in that too? You have to hope for something before your faith can give substance to it. So, faith is also dependent upon hope. Now, let's read Hebrews 11.1. Now, let's go to Hebrews 11.1. It's said up there in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, faith, hope, and love. 
faith, hope, and love. So we're talking about all these. Everything's in here for a reason. Nothing just accidental. In Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, you hope, you have hope in, in you that your daughter, my, my granddaughter, or anybody, whoever you're praying for, it's going to be healed, but now faith, after you walk in love, will bring it to a reality. And when you pray in faith, that hope, you had a sick baby, you needed her healed, you have hope in God that it's going to do it, and you and your wife repent, you're walking in love, and now then faith says, I can have it, and you pray the prayer of faith, and the Lord heals your baby right there in front of your eyes. Woo! It's just awesome to see the Lord do these kind of things. Now then, the criteria must all be met. You know, when when you're walking in this, this criteria must all be met. Now, if faith is a substance of things hoped for, and it is evidence of things not seen. Now see, we have been trained to believe what we can see, because that's our five physical senses. Now, I believe Michael's got on a white sweater tonight because I can see it. I can feel it. But now, somebody come in and told me, said, Michael's wearing a white sweater tonight. I don't know if that's true or not. I, now, I've got to have faith to believe that they told me the truth. But once you walk in, I say, yep, that's it. Don't need faith no more. I know he's wearing a white sweater. But you have to have faith to believe when you pray, if you're meeting all the criteria that God says that you're walking where he says for you to walk, and when you pray in faith, believing, the king answers. The king answers. I mean, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or imagine. But you have to hit all the right buttons or it don't work. You can be sick or your children can be sick for years, even die, if you don't hit the right buttons. And when I say hit the right buttons, how many people, in fact, I was talking to a man yesterday on the phone, uh, and he was telling me about a man that I had mentioned, I didn't call his name, but I mentioned a, a man on one of my tapes, and this guy knew who I was talking about. He said, you know why that guy don't believe in miracles? And I said, well, no. I said, he seems to be a really great Christian man. He said, oh, he is. Just like you said, he has great compassion for the lost. He loves people. He don't believe in miracles. And he said, you know why he don't believe in miracles? I said, I have no idea. <clears throat> He said he took a team of people and they went to Benny Hinn and they wanted at least five or six names of people that had been miraculously healed at a Benny Hinn crusade. Because supposedly they keep records. And he said they'd give them about five or six names and they went and checked every one of those people out. (coughs) And every one of those people, either their sickness had come back worse or they had died. And so he said, this stuff didn't work. They didn't get healed. Well, whenever I first got involved with Bill Gothard, Bill Gothard told me the same thing. He said, we checked out several of the people at Benny Hinn Crusades that said they got healed. And then within a few months to a year, 
they were either worse than they were before or they had already died. So they said, Thurman, this stuff don't work. I said, oh, yes, it does, Bill. It works. And he said, well, no, it doesn't. I said, oh, yes, it does. I said, the problem is, at a Benihan crusade, the anointing of God is flowing so awesome. And God is there. And he shows up and he heals his people, but nobody tells them why they're sick in the first place. Nobody tells them that it's sin. So those people, when they get healed, they go right back out to doing the same things they were doing before. And they open the same doors to the devil. And whenever the devils are cast out, and now then they go back to their same sin, that devil comes back and he comes back seven times worse. And he kills them. I said, see, if you want to do it God's way, you get the people to repent of their sins and promise God they'll walk in love and holy before Him. Then when you pray the prayer of faith, you can kick the devil out. And as long as they will walk holy before Him, that devil can't never come back. He said, Thurman, nobody's ever taught it like that. I said, but that's what the Word says. Well, Bill called me the other day. It had been well over a year since Andy and Robert were the first two young men that I prayed for, for and, and Bill Gothard, they were in his office, or, or where he went, wherever, and I talked to all of them on a speakerphone, and both of them had serious back trouble. One of them was walking with a walker, and the other one couldn't walk at all. But both those boys, after I spent 45 minutes to an hour and a half on the phone, getting those boys to see what their sin was, repenting of their sin, and making God a promise they'd not go back to that sin. When I prayed for them, both of those boys were instantly healed. Now, this was over about a three-week period when I did this. I did it on Andy first and then Robert second. Bill called me the other day and he said, Thurman, it does work. He said, Robert and Andy both are still totally well. And he said, they both work for me and I'm able to see them and observe them every day. He said, you're right. If we would walk in love and do what God says, we could stay healed. I said, isn't that amazing? When Jesus told us in his word, don't sin, he meant it. <laughs> when he said, don't sin, and the devil can't touch you, he meant that too. But it's like we don't know that. Or it's like we know that, but we don't know that. Or we certainly don't believe it. Because if we did, we would not go back to the sins that we do. You know, when you go back to sin, after you've learned the truth, it's like, you know, taking a revolver and putting three bullets in a chamber of six and spinning it and hoping you get one of the empty ones if you pull the trigger. Because it's dangerous. It's deadly. You know, so you've got to really, really watch it. Once you learn the truth. You know, when you don't know the truth, sometimes God doesn't hold you quite so accountable. But if you learn the truth and then you go sin, He really holds you accountable. You know, He said, you knew the truth. So you're going to have to pay the price. And some of you heard me tell that story the other day whenever uh, I lied to Cheryl and I got a stop to pay it. Isn't that amazing? Probably many years ago I could have told a little lie like that and nothing would have happened. But not anymore. I mean, and I didn't even do that on purpose. You know, when she says, have you had anything to eat today at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? And I said, no. But I lied. I had a bowl of cereal at 9 o'clock that morning. I'm thinking... She's saying, have you had anything to eat for lunch? I said, no. But she didn't ask that. Have you eaten today? Now, guys, that's why us guys need to listen to what our wives say. Because, you know, we can misinterpret what they say. When they do, you can get in trouble. So, I'm trying to listen much closer now. 
much closer because I don't want the enemy to come upon me because he will. So, uh, and I'm sure Cheryl's happy of that too. Because, you know, uh, some of you, any of you, any of you other women in here got a husband like that that don't hear everything you say? Oh, <laughs> don't hold up your head, all right? <laughs> You're just like me. <laughs> I think that they get, we're just men, don't you? We try to listen, but once in a while they're telling us something and we don't hear. That's unfortunate. That's just the way life is. Now then, now then, you see, if you don't hope for something, your faith can't work because it has no goal or object to believe God for. Now, therefore, faith can't work without hope. Also, faith is dependent on love in order to work. That's why the Bible says that love is greater than hope or faith. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now then, the next verses in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 tell us how important it is to operate in the God kind of love. Now, when you really stop and meditate on these, I mean, a lot of people today are out there doing things for the Lord and they think they're going to get a reward when they get to heaven. But they're not doing it with the right kind of motives. I mean, how many of you have known anybody that says, I am okay, I don't go to church and I don't believe in Jesus, but I've been good to my family, I've been good to my children or my wife, and I'm a good, hard-working man, so I know I'm going to heaven when I die. You ever heard anybody say that? Yeah, I have. But that's not true, is it? But what if you are a believer? What if you're a believer and you know the Lord and you're washed in the blood? Are you going to get any rewards when you get home? Well, it all depends, you know, upon what you based everything. Because we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Does it appear that love's pretty important right there? And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries. I don't know anybody that has these gifts so far that knows all these things. But Paul said, if I do have that and I understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge. Now, I've run into some people, men and women in my life, had lots of knowledge. But I never run into one had all knowledge. You know. And though I have all faith, so that I could remove a mountain if possible, and I have not love, I am nothing. Without love, what are you? If God, if we don't do everything we do in love when we get home, what are we going to get? Nothing, right? Is that going to be a serious day? You stand before the Lord and He says, oh, who are you? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, I'm Thurman Scrivener. Oh, he said, yeah, oh, okay. That boy down there. You know what I want to hear him say, Michael? Oh, well done, son. Come on in here. Oh, that's what I want to hear. But it's going to take some work on my part down here to make that come to pass. You know that? You can't just walk in the world and have God do that to you when you come home. It's going to take, really take some effort on your part here to... Have him put his arm around you and say, well done, son, come in. 
faithful servant. Because, man, you need to be telling people about Jesus. You need to be doing everything in love. You need to be walking in love. You need to be treating your wife, your children, people around you in love. Being, have the God kind of love. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and I have not love, it profits me nothing. So Cheryl's out putting all this stuff together, going to see all these people all day long today. She's all over the place, driving everywhere, going to all these stores, talking to people, sending out emails, trying to get this money together again so she can have another big Christmas party for all them orphan kids out there at Christ, at Christ Haven, like she's done the last three years. She's done that three years in a row. This is going to be the fourth year. And all them kids love it and everything. But if she don't do that in love, how many rewards she going to get? Huh? Not one single one. You'd think that God would, you know, would surely give her something for that. But now if she does it in love, what's she going to get? Oh, man, ain't no telling, is there? No telling what she'll get. Well, that's the way we got to do everything we do, in love. If we do it in love, then we get rewards. I think about... This tape I heard on, on a preacher, a Baptist preacher here a while back, that in 1979, he actually physically died with a, a artery severed on his heart. And he left his body and he showed up at heaven. And the Lord asked him, why should he let him in? Now, he was a Baptist preacher. He'd been to Baptist seminary. And, I mean, he preached on the streets and he'd done all kinds of things. And he said, well, Lord, I'm washed in the blood, and I've done all these good deeds for you while I was on earth. And the Lord told him, yeah, you're washed in the blood. But he said, everything you did on earth, you did for you. You didn't do not one single thing for me. You did it all for your glory, not for mine. So he said, you can come in, but you get no rewards. He said, Lord... Please, I don't want to come into heaven where I'm going to spend eternity with no rewards. He said, please, Lord, let me go back and live some longer where I can do something for you this time. And the Lord said, okay. And that was in 1979. And do you know that man's still alive today? I talked to him on the phone just recently. But do you know what? He's working for the Lord now. I'm telling you, and he's doing what he... That's just like whenever I talked to him one time, he was saying, you know, when I went through Baptist Seminary, they told me God don't do miracles no more. And he said, I taught that. And they said, he don't do healings no more. And I taught that in church. But said, I saw all this stuff in the Word, but I thought surely them guys knew what they was talking about. But he said, let me tell you, I've changed my mind now. I teach what the Word says now. I, the God I serve now does miracles because he says so in his Word. <laughs> I mean, a little trip to heaven like that, that'd have a tendency to change everything about you, wouldn't it? You know, that would, that would have a tendency to change. When the Lord says, okay, you can come in, but you did everything you did for yourself, and you're not getting one single reward when you come in. Now, I wonder how many people have got to heaven, and that was the case. I mean, it's kind of like I heard Jay Vernon on the radio. I still listen to him some. And although I realize Jay's been dead for several years, and he don't believe in miracles, but he's really a good Bible teacher. But he's, he, he's some of the things he teaches is so funny. But 
he was telling a story the other day that was really funny. And he said there was a preacher. And the guy pastored a great big church. And he died. And he showed up at the doorstep to heaven. And St. Peter met him up there and said, come on in. You know, let me show you around. So they go down Hallelujah Boulevard there for a little ways. And he looks up there and he said, wow, who does that big mansion belong to? He said, that belongs to Sister So-and-so. He said, wow, she must have been an awesome saint. He said, you didn't know her? Well, no. said, she was in your church. Wow, I didn't even know her and she gets a mansion like that? So they go down to the end of Hallelujah Boulevard and turn right on Glory Boulevard and they're going along there and there's another great big giant mansion. He said, good grief, who lives in that thing? He said, brother so-and-so. He said, what did he do? He said, you don't know him either? He said, he was a member of your church. He said, man, if she got a gift like that and he got that and I don't even know them, I can only imagine what I'm going to get. said to walk down the end of Glory Boulevard and back out, way back off out there. And way back out there, and there's a little bitty shack out there. And he said, who's that? He said, this is yours. <laughs> oh, you're talking about something humbling. That would be humbling, wouldn't it? And you're going to spend eternity in heaven with these people that was in your church. They was prayer warriors, and they came, and they did things in love. And the Lord only knows your heart of love. And so he knows whether you're doing things. I mean, you can tell me anything, but you can't tell God nothing. He already knows the intent of our heart and why we do everything we do. And that's why when we meet his criteria and do what he says, now you may not be able to, you may not be able to change your brother or your sister or your spouse right off, but I will have to say that if you have learned to go to the throne of grace, you know, just like Cheryl, I taught her so well how to go to the throne of grace. I mean, every time I don't do something she doesn't like, she hardly ever anymore says anything to me. But she goes to the throne of grace. And I got real tickled the other day whenever I was driving along there. And I said some things, I guess, that didn't set just right with her. And I looked over at her and she said, you know what? I said, what? She said, you're about this close. I said, this close to what? She said, of me going to the throne of grace for you. I thought, uh-oh, I guess I better straighten my act up right now. Because <laughs> if she's going to take me to the throne before daddy, i got a trouble, right, Michael? I better straighten up right now. I said, okay, Lord, I'll repent. Whatever I'm doing wrong, I'll repent. I walk in love, Lord. <laughs> we have lots of fun together. But you know, we're people. We're human beings, you know. Goodness. Then not he used to lie to y'all. If I do, God knows the truth anyway. So, you know, it don't do any good. We need to walk in the God kind of love. And, and again, I want y'all to know that Cheryl and I are human. You know, we're definitely not perfect. If you put your pastor and his wife on a pedestal to think they don't never have a problem or don't ever make a mistake, you, <laughs> you got a, you know, you got a rude awakening because we're all human beings. You know, but Cheryl keeps telling me, that, you know, since I have to remember that I am a pastor and I'm supposed to walk above this. And I think, but honey, I'm still a human being. You know, I mean, I try my best, but every once in a while, I mean, unfortunately, you know, every once in a while I get in the flesh. You know, we go somewhere and, I mean, they may have, uh, I mean, maybe I'm super hungry or something, but 
if they got all kinds of good food and apple pie and ice cream, and I can get in the flesh and pig out there for a little while. You know, and then after I said, oh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. She said, I told you you were sitting. <laughs> but I'm just a human being, right, David? I mean, I have to learn to control. I don't try to do that too often. But you can get in the flesh real easy under certain conditions. Now then, if we see the importance of love here, it makes no difference. I don't know anybody that has all those gifts that's listed in three verses. But if you have those three gifts and still you don't do what you do in love, what kind of a reward are you going to get from the Lord? Zero. Zero. Not any at all. Now then, we are nothing, absolute nothing, without love. Regardless of the gifts of the Spirit, it don't matter what gifts you have, and you may have many. I mean, if you're going to get people healed, if God's given you the gift of healing, you need to do it in love. God give you the gift of prophecy, you need to do it in love. You need to be careful how you operate in your gifts. Because if you don't do it in love, you're going to get no reward. So we see here that the God kind of love is so important. That's why the Bible says love is greater than faith or hope. Love is the most important one. <clears throat> and also you see there that we see that the Lord... He says, this is how others will know you are my disciples. Now, let's read John 13, 35. John 13, 35. This is the way the Lord says that men will know that you belong to me. John 13, 35. <clears throat> Does anybody know what John 13, 34 says? That one right before it. This is a new commandment I give you. What is that commandment? Love one another. In John 13, 34. And if you have that love in John thirteen thirty four, this is a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, this is a commandment from the king. This is not if you want to. This is a commandment. You know, it's just like over under the law, under the Ten Commandments, it wasn't if you didn't want to lie to someone. He said, you shall not lie. It's not if you want to, don't want to kill somebody. He says, you shall not do murder. And, and that's, a, that's, I had a man call me the other day and said, Thurman, I'm in the military and I'm going overseas. And how, how do I get around this? He said, what if I have to kill somebody? Over? I said, that's not murder. You're serving your country. I said, I had to go through that same thing. And I said, we serve our country. We don't want to kill anybody. We definitely don't want to. But I said, if you're confronted with a situation where it's your life or theirs, then you're going to have to make that choice. And I said, I'm going to tell you what choice I would have made. You know, I'm going to try my best to make sure I live. You know, I don't want to take another man's life. I hope I don't get in a situation like that. But in the military, you know, you're fighting against an enemy. And unfortunately, <clears throat> that enemy is a man a lot of times. And so, you know, that's just part of it. So I said, you know, no, you're not going to be committing murder if you have to kill somebody in the military. I said, we're looking at something that's premeditated. You know, you say, whoops, I don't like this guy or this woman. I just can't stand them. I'm going to kill them. That's premeditated murder. And then God, he holds you accountable. Even today, he holds you accountable when you just get angry with your brother like that. You don't have to actually kill them. You can be guilty of murder today as a Christian and just have the thoughts. And you can be guilty of murder. Now then, 
John 13:35 By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So if you walk into God kind of love, everybody will know that you're the Lord's disciples and if everybody knows that you're the Lord's disciple and you're walking into God kind of love and you're keeping his commandments, then he gives you an awesome promise that you can come and ask me for anything, and I'll do it for you. And that's a pretty awesome statement, isn't it, brother? Every time. Wow. I'm telling you, it, it is so awesome when you, when you hear these things taught, and you repent of your sins, and you walk, step over into that love walk, and you pray the prayer of faith for someone, and you see God instantly move, and heal somebody, or deliver something, or, or meet your need, whatever it is. You can't never be the same. You just can't be the same. But, there's always that enemy to get back in there and get you out of that love walk. He'll do it if he can. And he won't never give up. Somebody asked me the other day, how long do you have to fight this battle, Thurman? I said, well, I don't know. I've been fighting it all my life. And it seems like it's intensifying in my later years instead of letting up. Now, isn't that awesome? But it does seem like the battle is intensifying. The battle has gotten bigger and bigger all the time. But we have power over the devil. You know, so we just we just keep on going. You know, it, it's just it's amazing. You know, the, some of the uh, battles that we have to fight here. You know. Now then, in the, it, if God's love is so important then we need to know what it is and how to love. This God kind of love never fails. We find it defined in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now, we're over there in 1 Corinthians 13, so we're going to start out there in 1 Corinthians 13. Then we already read verse 1, 2, and 3, where it shows you if you have all these gifts and you don't walk in a God kind of love, that it absolutely profits you nothing. So now then... We need to define what the God kind of love is. Because, you know, if you don't know what the God kind of love is, how are you going to walk in something you've not understood? So, love, or the God kind of love, in verse 4, suffers long. That suffers long. Now, remember that. What does that mean, to suffer long? Oh, man. Okay, so David gets mad at me and makes one simple little statement. One simple little statement. I'm going to suffer real long and punch him right in the nose right there in one heartbeat. What, did I suffer long? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not hardly did I, David. <laughs> Is that suffering long? No, not. not hardly. You know, so okay, so then he says it to me ten times in one day and I'm still suffering long. But the eleventh time, I punch him out. Did I suffer long enough? Nope, 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 didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't suffer long enough, did I? The God kind of love suffers long. Now, we don't love it, we don't like it. Okay, your mate does something you don't like, you say, okay, I'm going to forgive you this time, but don't you dare do it again, I guarantee I'll get you if you do it again. People talk like that to each other. (laughs) There you go, John. When that happens, you don't retaliate. You know, you don't retaliate if you have the God kind of love. You do what John says. You take them to the Father in the third heaven. Right, John? Well, actually, they should probably suffer longer. Amen. 
Love suffers long, and let's put on top of that, and is kind. So whenever somebody is reading you the riot act, you're supposed to not only suffer long, but you're supposed to be kind through the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? Is that hard to do, Donna? Yes, it is. I guarantee it is. When things are not going just exactly like you like, it's hard to walk in this God kind of love. That's why he defined it so. It suffers long and is kind, and it does not envy. And, And the King James says, love vaunteth not itself, but that means boastful. Love is not boastful. It don't go around telling so, well, all I got to say uh, to you is, I'm better than you are. I can do, I don't know why you can't do this, because I certainly don't have any problem doing this. We're boastful. No, 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 love don't do that. Love does not boast about these things. And it is not puffed up. <clears throat> you know how easy it is to get puffed up when somebody says something you don't like? Okay, I just won't talk to you. Turn your back. Now, I've done these things, folks. I'm telling you, when I, when I, when I teach these guns, I'm talking to me more than I am anybody here. You know, because I'm a human being. And I gotta walk in this. And God holds every one of us accountable, doesn't He, John? He holds us accountable. And the older we are in the Word, the more accountable He holds us. He expects for us to know this. Love does not behave itself unseemly in verse 5. Love does not seek its own way. Now, lots of people want to do it their own way. Love is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. Now, you you notice it didn't say you couldn't be provoked. But it's not easily provoked. I mean, you you know how often... Well, I don't know about you. You know how often I need to read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8? Probably about ten times a day. You reckon that'd be enough, David? Maybe, maybe. But we need to, we gotta have to read it pretty often, aren't we? You need to have these committed to memory. And every time something happens and you're starting to be put to the test, you need to start quoting these verses. <laughs> oh Lord, if I gotta do this again, Lord. <clears throat> yes, son, you have to do this. If you want to see me do things for you. Now, you don't have to. You can get in the flesh and jump back and retaliate, but it's going to cut your power off of me, and I ain't going to answer none of your prayers. I'm not going to anoint you with the Holy Ghost and power. I'm not going to do nothing for you. Now, if you want to do it on your own, just go ahead. I'm not hard to get along with. (laughs) Without him, what can we do, Michael? Can't do a thing. Not a thing. And so, praise the Lord. We have to do it God's way. Love does not behave unseemly. Love does not seek its own way. Love is not easily provoked. And love never thinks evil. Love thinks no evil. Now then, if you have evil thoughts about someone, when someone says something to you, you need to get over that. You know, because the God kind of love is not doing what it's supposed to be doing in your life. Because love thinks no evil. Now, love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. In other words, you don't gloat when somebody else has something go wrong. Somebody says, wow, 
I sure hope I hate that guy. Man, and when he got hurt, well, praise God. He got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> you ever heard anybody say anything like that? I've heard people say that about their own mate. Isn't it serious? Isn't it sad how little of the God kind of love we walk in? You know, here we talk about somebody, or somebody says, well, I heard old Joe down at the church, he got in a car wreck. He says, man, that guy ought to got in a car wreck. He's done all them kind of things wrong. I mean, I've been telling that guy his sin's going to catch up with him. Praise God, I'm glad he got hurt. Woo! <laughs> wow! That's not much love in that, is it? No, not hardly. Rejoice, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Now, what can love bear if it's a God kind of love? All things. It can bear all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Now then, if love never fails, like verse 8 says, If love never fails, if we have a Christian couple that get married, and they are Christians, and they do get married, and if they'll read these and study these and walk in this God kind of love, how many divorces would we have in the Christian church? None. There would never be one. Never. So what does that tell us? We must not walk in it very well. We must not walk in it because how many divorces do we have in the church? Many. Far too many. And what's really something is in the church. Sometimes I minister to people, and some of y'all may be in here, that have had three, four, and five, and six different mates in your lifetime. And you couldn't get along with none of them. Well, you know why? Because either you or your spouse or both of you never walked where this book says. Is it hard to walk right here? Tina, what do you think? Is it hard to walk out there, girl? Guarantee it is for me. I'll have to be honest. What about you, Michael? Is it hard to walk there? It, it ain't no easy. I mean, between the flesh and the devil working on you, you know, and he's working on me in this piece of flesh the same way, guarantee it's almost impossible to walk right there. It's not impossible because God told us what to do, didn't he, John? He, he Yes, sir. Yeah, I guarantee just exactly what John says. You have to capture not every other thought. You have to capture every thought. Because that enemy will put the wrong kind of thoughts in your mind, and he will ruin you. And if, and if you don't capture those thoughts, and you don't walk in that God kind of love, then I will guarantee you will be sinning. Because anything you do that does not line up with the Word of God, according to Romans fourteen twenty three, is sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin. And when you sin, you open the door to the devil. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And I hate it when he puts sickness and disease upon us or pains or symptoms or whatever. You know, I really don't like it. And of course, the thing about it is what we don't understand is when we go through our life sinning and then something happens to us, Usually, we never put the two together that our sin is what caused our injury or our accident or our sickness or our disease. 
because they may have been months or even years apart. You know? But I stop and think of the people that I know, and whenever you learn this, and you learn that you've walked in sin, and you've opened a door to many demons, and demons came into your flesh to torment you during this time that you were sinning, and one day, these things begin to manifest in you, and if you learn the truth, and then you get close to God and start walking in love, then they will really start manifesting in you, and that's when you really have to know the Word and start kicking these devils out. So, if you start kicking these devils out, they will have to leave. I mean, I, I, I think when Cheryl and I got married, when we went on our first fast, I, that girl, she broke out. I think about the knee that she had that had been knocked off. Took me eight months to pray that thing back in. That, 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 but, of course, she knows. She, when, when I married her, she said, I don't know what the Lord is doing here. He's putting the worst sinner in the church with a pastor. Well, after she told that to me about three times, I said, I want you to stop saying the worst sinner in the church because you don't know these people I minister to every day. I said, there's a lot of them out here just as bad, if not worse, than you are. I said, yeah, you've sinned. You've done some things wrong. But who hasn't? Well, she said, but I've really sinned. I said, well, let me tell you. I deal with people every day that's committed far worse sins than you have. I said, yeah, what you've done sin. And I said, you're paying the consequence for your sins. And these demons that are in you, just like the first fast we went on, her face broke out with big whips all over about the third or fourth day. She panicked. What is this? I said, no, honey, no problem. It's just demons coming out of you. You know? I said, I'm going to kick them out and they're going to go away in the name of Jesus. I commanded them to leave in an hour. They was all gone. Well, about three days later, we're on the fast. They come back worse. She, well, what's this again? I said, it's some more of them unclean demons. I said, who knows how many of these beasts you've got over the years through your sins? But they're there. So now we've got to drive them out. So, I mean, just like in the middle of the night. You know, that night she woke up with that, you know, actually she didn't wake up. She had been on two days, had that fire in her stomach. Couldn't get over it. Well, I, after she repented of her sin, I just laid, restored, laid my hand on her stomach, rebuked that doubt. I said, you devil of hell out in the name of Jesus. Bam, instantly, in a heartbeat, she was healed. See? It's just a problem of getting out demons. Now, let me ask you this question. How many people in the church do you know that's not sinned in the last 20 or 30 years? <laughs> so guess who's got demons in the church? All of us. So when you repent of your sins and walk holy before God, when these beasts begin to manifest, you start walking into God the kind of love. When they manifest in who knows what kind of sickness or disease it is that they're going to manifest in, when they do manifest, if you're walking in the God kind of love, what can you do with them? You can kick them out in the name of Jesus. And that, that makes it all wonderful. You know, but if, you're, if you haven't got your sins repented of, you can't kick them beast out. And that's why so many people die early. The Lord clearly told us in His Word, clearly told us in 1 John 5.18, He said, My children do not sin. But they keep themselves from evil. And therefore, the evil one can not touch you. Now, does that mean if you do sin? What does it mean the beast can do to you? It means he can touch you. Is that right? Sure. I mean, so he gives us the positive side of it, but there's a negative side too. You know, there's an equal and opposite reaction for everything. Everything. I learned that way back yonder. 
So, if you're walking in a God kind of love, you don't ever open the door to demons. But if you do sin, then you open the door for demons. And these demons, they love it. They love to come in and torment your life and cause you to be sick and afflicted and everything. But you, as a Christian, if you repent and you walk in the God kind of love, you have been given power over these beasts. And they cannot touch you. And then when you speak in the name of Jesus, great things happen. <clears throat> so, I would just, I would like to say that if you, if you know, like I told Amanda one time, when Amanda, my sweet little daughter, when she was alive and a little girl, one day her and her brother was having a little knockdown drag out. You know, that happens with most children. And I walked in and they were just going at it. And so I stopped them and I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, Daddy, Tim's doing this to me and I didn't like it. And I said, well, okay, so let's repent and let's love each other. No, I'm not going to love him. I said, yes, you are. I said, go get the Bible. I want you to open it up. First Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to read verses 4 through 8 for me right now. Do I have to? I said, yes, you have to. So she goes and gets 1 Corinthians, opens 13, reads verses 4 through 8. I said, did you learn anything? She says, no. I said, well, then read it again. So after we went through it about three times, I said, have you learned anything? Well, okay. I said, remember, that's God talking. Not me. That's the Lord talking. Okay, okay. So she loved her brother then for a little while. You know, things went back, you know. And uh, it, it, it's just, it's amazing how God does these things. And he's, I think about the wonderful experiences that I had with the Lord with my children. Another time with my daughter, one night we were, my daughter was doing something else. And come Bible study time, we read the Bible every night. And I said, time to read the Bible, kids. Well, they were had friends over and everything. No, no, Daddy, let's read it t- tomorrow. I said, no, 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 we read every day. So you all come sit down here. On the floor or whatever, we're going to read the Bible. Daddy, I, we, my friend and I, we want to do something. I said, no, no, no. Y'all can do what you want to do after we read the Bible. She said, Daddy, you always read too long. I said, okay. So what would you like to do? She said, let me read. I said, okay. So I handed her a closed Bible. What do you want me to read? I said, just take your choice. And you can read what you want to. Okay. So she opened the Bible and started in the middle of a page. And this is what it said. Children, honor your parents in all things. <laughs> now, only God could do that, right, brother? Only God. She threw that Bible down. She said, Daddy, you did this to me. I said, no, I didn't do that to you. But I said, thank you, Lord, for doing it to my daughter. Don't you know God's got a sense of humor? I mean, only God could let your daughter open a Bible to that page and read that verse right in the middle of a page after she just had a trouble with her daddy. Children, honor your parents in all things. (laughs) did Did he convict her? See, you don't have to worry about this. If you're doing what the Lord says, he'll take care of you. It is so awesome to see God do these wonderful things when you walk in this God kind of love. Wow. Praise the Lord. So... Any couple that's having trouble, if they would read these scriptures. Now, I will have to say that the King James is not the best translation to read that in because it used the word charity. But if you use 
one of the other translations, it has love there. And we understand the word love a whole lot better. And some of these little things that are in there are a whole lot easier to read in either the Amplified or in several other translations that has that so well put. So, if you're having trouble with your children or with your mate, sit down and say, honey, or whatever, children, let's read just these seven verses. Let's start at 1 Corinthians 13, read verses 1, or actually 8. Read the first eight verses. And don't just read it one time. Read it three or four times. Slowly. And let it sink in. You know, just read it. And just let the Holy Spirit do His work. Don't emphasize on any particular thing. If you come to something you know that one of your children is not doing right, don't emphasize. The Lord will do that for you. That's His job to do the convicting. Right, Donna? Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. He'll just read it. As long as the Word's being spoken, God will work on it. He'll do the other part. Yeah. You don't have to worry about saying, now, you know, really you got to do this. If you know that Michael's getting off right here in this area, you really punch that at him. No, you don't have to sweat that. God will take care of that. All you got to do is just read the verses. He'll take care of it. So any couple that's having trouble, if they will sit down together and read these eight verses a few times every night, it's got to have an impact on you because it's God's Word. It's got to have an impact. Now then, this means that when something happens to us, any kind of problem we can possibly have, we can endure it because if we are God's children, we can do it because we have the God kind of love and it never fails and it works in and through us every time. God will not tell you to do something you can't do. Think of God putting up with all of us and our crying. It must take a lot of love to put up with all of us. I can't even fathom that kind of love. There will be times when you want to quit. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I, you, may, you don't hear me say this very often. But there has been times in this ministry in the last four years that I've had so many problems and so many trials and so many tests there's been times I've walked into a room and throwed up my hands and said, God, I quit. I'm fed up with this, Lord. I said, everything, everything in the world's going wrong that can go wrong. I know none of y'all ever had these kind of days in your life. But I have them. Nothing goes right. I mean, you know, you pray for somebody. Oh, by the way, right here, I'll stop right here and tell you when I say you pray for somebody for weeks or months and they still die and you did everything in the world and you know the family was banking on the word of God and your prayers and it didn't happen and I want to why God why well let me tell you a praise report right now I got a call just a while ago just before I came here and for those of you that have been following this with me you know today was the day or yesterday was the day that they were going to give little Brietta the swallow test and all that stuff to see if she could drink milk I think she drank three bottles of milk today. And they were so happy, and Lori was so happy. They said at this rate, in a matter of days, little Brietta gets to go home. Praise the Lord. So all of our prayers. I mean, this has been a battle, hasn't it? I mean, for three months or two and a half months, 
we've been fighting this battle and we pray. We go over and lay hands on the baby. We do everything. We've been over to that hospital a few times. And we go, and the first time I was over there, and James wanted me to reach in and lay my hands on it. The nurse said, now don't touch her skin, because if you push on the skin, she's so fragile, you may tear her skin with your finger. I thought, wow, her skin's that thin? Yeah, she's three months premature. You have to be careful. And, I mean, everything, you know, they kept saying, this is wrong, and this is wrong. Got to have this surgery, and this surgery, and this is going to go. And we kept saying, no, 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 we're going to pray. And we have, and so far, we've come out on top every time. But it's been a battle, hasn't it? But praise the Lord. Today, I mean, in fact, I'm going to tell you, only a few days ago, Lori, she called us. She said, Thurman, she said, the doctors are saying it ain't going to work. She's still not going to live. This is not going to be normal. She's going on and over and over and over and over and all that And I said, look, Lori, that devil's just beating up on you. I said, you're going to have to hush up that nonsense. We're going to have to go to the throne of grace. We're going to have to kick them devils out, and you got to believe the word. I said, the devils just about drove you down. You've been through all kinds of tests. See, she's one of those kind of days. It's a good thing me and her didn't have one of those kind of days at the same time. When I just told myself up and said, okay, let's just call it quits and let her die. But we don't ever do that as children of God. We, we know that we're in a war. We know the devil's trying to kill these us, not just her. But all of us. And so by our prayers, all of our prayers and standing on the Word and all the battles that we've been and all the times we've been over that hospital and all the prayers we've done. And some of y'all don't have any idea how many times that we've called the prayer team and we prayed for that little girl. But praise God, we keep getting good reports and good reports. And today, Lori was so happy when she called that she just drank all that milk and everything's going so good. Isn't that good, Deborah? Praise the King! You know, so don't give up. Walk in love. When you walk in love, the king answers your prayers, right? You stand on the Word. See, this is when it pays good dividends to know the Word and stand on it. Because when you're standing on it, God answers your prayer. And it makes no difference what the complication is. I think about the battle we fought with the little Brietta reminds me seriously of the one I fought with Caitlin. You know, it was about the same kind of deal. You know, I mean, they keep telling you every day, she ain't going to live. No problem. She ain't going to make it. Can't live. Impossible. That's what they kept telling them. You know, she can't make it. Oh, yeah. No, she's going to have to have this. This don't work. And No, no, no. We're going to have to do this. Or, no, we're going to pray. Never. And so we prayed. And then it didn't have to do none of that stuff. So she just, well, when I was over there the other day, she, well, the first time I was over there, she weighed one pound and... 15 ounces, I believe, and her little legs was maybe big as my finger. The tiniest little thing I ever seen. But the other day was over, she weighed, I believe it was four pounds and eight ounces. Oh man, you talk about a giant. You know, she looks like a giant. She's still a little tiny thing. But, you know, compared to what she was the first time, she's a giant. She's really growing. But wow. To pass the swallow test, but guess what? She's still just starting her problems in life. You know? Are her problems over right now? No. Is there still going to be room for prayer, Tommy, all through her little life? Yeah. There's me and you, old as we get, there's still room for prayer for me and you, right? I guarantee. And if you learn to walk in the God kind of love, Walk into God kind of love. Now, in fact, I look back there, Tommy, and I think about a miracle he told me about the other day. 
he went over with his, I believe it was his daughter and, and her and his son-in-law and their grandson, which was about 16, 17? 17. 17. The boy had had warts on his hands all of his life, I think he said, hadn't he, Tommy? How many years? Or lots of them. Just about all of them. They went over there after they learned how to walk in the love walk and walk in faith and went in there and prayed over the boy's bed. And he wasn't even home. And within a matter of days, every ward on his body was gone. Isn't that right, Tommy? Amen. Praise God. I mean, I mean, when they say it don't work, yeah, ask Tommy and ask you, it works. You ain't never going to tell us it don't work, especially when that boy had had them all of his life. And now then you're learning how to pray in faith, walking in love with your sins confessed. And you're going to go, well, the boy ain't home tonight. That's okay. We're going to lay hands on his bed. And the Lord's going to take them warts off of his body. And he did. Does God honor faith, Michael? Yes, when you walk into God kind of love and you have that hope that this is going to work, it works. And you get to see the Lord do great and wonderful things. And, of course, then those magnificent statements he makes and this is the victory that overcomes the world and all of its problems, even our faith. So when we walk into God kind of love, He said, you can come and ask me for anything and I'll do it. And He meant that. So that's why this is extremely important that we walk in this God kind of love. Now then, let's go a little further here. Uh, it says here, after we said God will not tell you to do something that you can't do, it must take a lot of love to put up with all of us. Then there will be times when you want to quit, but the God kind of love will rise up in you and you will not quit. You will be the overcomer the Bible talks about. Now, this is the way to find out if you are walking in love. Do you do what the next verse says? Verse 13 Five, I'm going to read this from the Amplified, when it says, Love does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not its own, is not easily provoked, and it thinks no evil. If you're doing these things, you're walking in a God kind of love. Now then, the Bible also tells us we are to make this our aim in life, to have the God kind of love. If we could learn to do this, it would solve all of our problems at home and in the church. Because I want to read another scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. And you notice when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it says, follow after love. This love must be extremely important. We know it is, because without love, if you don't walk in the God kind of love, you will very rarely get a prayer answered. How would you like to be able to pray and every time see God answer your prayer like you did the other day, brother? That's where you're at. That's where you're. That's why you're walking where you're walking, right? Woo! I'll tell you what. I, I just. I, I never will forget that when he told me that testimony about his little five-year-old and how she had all this problem and everything, and when he told his wife, said, "You know, it's time instead of." putting that big old thing in her leg and shooting that stuff that they give us down to the hospital in her, it's time you and me repent of our sins and believe God. And said so he threw that thing away and both of them repented of their sins and he prayed the prayer of faith and before their very eyes, his little girl was completely healed. That, that changes you forever, doesn't it, brother? 
I'm telling you, God's Word works, doesn't it? It works. It makes you want to walk in that God kind of love. Because, guess what? If you walk in that God kind of love, if you walk in the God kind of love, that little girl wouldn't have been sick in the first place. You know that? You know that, don't you? Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's what really breaks our heart when we find out our children are sick because of our stupidity. We open the door to the devil to attack our children, and some of them even die because of our sins. And that's very, very critical to learn that. So when you walk into God kind of love, and you do what he says, if the devil tries to come by your house, you can kick him out. You can keep him out real easy if every Christian, when they got saved, would be taught these principles and they walk into God kind of love. You would never have to be really, the devil would never give you much trouble. Because he would have no legal claim to you. He wouldn't make you sick. He wouldn't afflict you. He, he'd say, well, whoops, there's, there's Michael's house, but no, that boy's walking in love. His wife's walking in love. Well, we'll catch him out here on the street sometime. We'll see if we can attack his mind and see if we can get him out of that love wall. Because as long as he's in that, we can't touch him. That's what the king said, wasn't it? So then when, just like John said there a while ago, when that devil puts that thought in your mind, you don't entertain him wrong thoughts, do you, John? Capture them things and throw them out the window. <clears throat> Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim and your great quest. Now that's amplified. When I read that out of the amplified, I thought, man, I gotta put that in there. The amplified says eagerly for first Corinthians fourteen one. It says eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim and your great quest. Why? Because nothing works without it. Without the God kind of love, nothing works. But with the God kind of love, what works? Everything. The very first thing. We need to understand that love can grow and develop because it is a fruit of the Spirit. You don't start out with just giant love. It is a fruit. We need to understand that love can grow over the years. It can grow and get deeper and bigger. And it can develop because it is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, does fruit, when you go out there and you see that fruit tree, I mean, when I go out there and I think about a little peach tree, when I see it, I don't understand how in the world you can go out there and there's a little blossom on a fruit tree. And one day that thing kind of comes up and makes a little nut-looking thing. And then all of a sudden it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And over a few months, that thing comes out sometimes a great, big, old, beautiful woo when, the, when they are, mm, taste buds are already, mm, wow, mm, thinking about them things getting ripe on the tree, you know, being nice and soft and mushy. Woo, get one and put that in your mouth. That's the best stuff in the world, isn't it? And there ain't no grocery store ever had one like that. Ain't nothing like getting them off of that tree because God made them in love for you. And when you can let them grow on that fruit tree, man, but now that's the way our love has to be. Our love is a fruit of the Spirit, and fruit grows. And the Word tells us that the, 
it is the first of the fruits of the Spirit. Let's go to Galatians 5, verse 22, and let's see this. Galatians 5, 22. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't that amazing? First one. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Then we've got more fruit. After love, we've got joy, we've got peace, we've got long-suffering, we've got gentleness, we've got goodness, and we've got faith. But you notice all of them is after love. The fruit of the Spirit. So these are the fruits that can grow in your life as you serve God. And this fruit of the Spirit, love, which can definitely grow. Because, I mean, I think of some people that I know, and when they get married... They think they love each other. But I have never seen a couple that knew what love was when they first got married. Really. I mean, you know, they even may be real good Christians. And they may think they love each other. But if they were both really Christians, and they really served God, and 30 or 40 years later, they'll tell you, Wow, now we really love each other. Yeah. When you walk with God in the God kind of love, a man and a woman that's literally served God and walked together and raised their children together and studied the Word together and become one together in Christ, man, they're knit with a unity that is beyond your wildest dreams. If everybody could just do that. If we could just do that. That's the God kind of love. Your love grows so deep for the other person. It's amazing. You know, I mean, just like right now, I've only been married to Cheryl, not even a year and a half yet. But I love her more today than I did when God gave her to me. I didn't know a thing about her. You know, just like she didn't know nothing about me. We first got married. We just got married. I didn't know nothing about her. I didn't know what she liked, didn't like. But I'm slowly learning. And she's, she's slowly learning too. What I like and what I don't like. You know, and, and of course, you get to know each other through the years. And therefore, your love grows deeper, you know, through the years. If you're Christians. Not necessarily, you know, if you're a Christian walking in a God kind of love, that's true. But if you're a Christian not walking in a God kind of love, I can see people go apart. But with a God kind of love. And so you have to know what this God kind of love is. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is important. Then the joy, then the peace, then the long-suffering, then the gentleness, the goodness, and faith. Verse 23 says, meekness and temperance. Those are the next two fruits of the Spirit. And look what he says about those. Against such things, these things that we just listed, against there is no law. There is no law. Now, if you're walking in love, no charge can be brought against you. The devil has no claim to you. If you walk in this God kind of love. What do we... You, me, and all Christians have to do to be able to bring forth the fruit of our spirit. What do we have to do? Well, the Lord tells us in this verse I'm going to read to you. and you go, John chapter 15, 
verse 51. John 15, 51. What do you have to do to bring forth this kind of fruit? John 15, 51. John 15, 51. All the answers to everything is in the Word of God. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, or much love. For without me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, how, how do you abide in the King? Now, 15.5, yeah, John 15.5, that's where I was. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now then, since we're right there at John 15.5, if you abide in him, and he abides in you, you can bring forth much fruit. But what does John 15, 2, right up above, say, if you don't abide in Him? What does He say? What does he say? Somebody tell me what John 15, 2 says. What does He do, Michael? No, no, wait a minute now, wait a minute now. Let's read that real close. In John 15, 2, He says, I am the vine. What does He say? Okay. Oh, oh, now wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. now here he says, every branch in me that produces no fruit. In other words, what is those fruits? Love, joy, peace, me, all them good things. Oh, my goodness gracious. He does what? He takes it away. You know what that means? Cuts you off. What happens if you don't produce no fruit for the kingdom? He cuts you off. What does that mean? You get to die early. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you want to die early? Oh, well then what do you better do? Produce fruit. You better walk in love. Now then, see, a lot of people don't understand what the Word says. But the Word says, I mean, we go down and say this and say, Wow, in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I am him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. But see, he said that after he said John 15, 2, didn't he? If you don't produce fruit... I will cut you off. And then he goes on to say what you started to say there. If you are producing fruit, he's going to prune you. Now, you know what it means to be pruned? I looked at our rose bushes a while ago. Before I came down here, my son had been out and I taught him well. You know, he got to them a little early. Normally, I prune them in the last of December or January, but he pruned them the other day. I mean, those big rose bushes were all over the sides of the house. And when I went out and looked, they're all cut back to about this size. I mean, everything's, everything's cut off and all the branches are laying out there drying up. He prunes you. Who likes to be pruned? I don't like to be pruned. But guess what? You ain't got no choice. If you're producing fruit, either way, he's going to cut on you. If you're producing fruit, he's going to make you produce more fruit. And if you ain't producing fruit, he's going to cut your tree down. So should that make us as Christians be aware of the fact that we need to really be about the Lord's work? You know, lots of us die 
in the church and we have no idea why we died at so young of an age. But yet you go back and look and they didn't never do anything for Jesus. They might have went to church, but maybe some or only when the weather was nice. But they didn't go out and save souls. They didn't tithe. didn't tell nobody about Jesus. Just go to work every day. You know, might have been a good guy. But you produced absolutely none of those fruits of love, joy, peace, meekness, and all those good things the Lord told us to do. You didn't produce them. And he said, if you don't produce those, then I'll cut you off. Isn't that amazing? I don't want to be cut off early, do you? I want to live, so guess what we better get busy about doing? Producing some good fruit. So if we do, praise the Lord. Now then, if we produce that good kind of uh, fruit... Uh, and we're the branches, and if we, abide, if we abide in Him, you notice you have to abide in Him. So how in the world do you abide in Christ? In the Word of God. If you're not in it, you're not abiding in Him, are you? You've got to have the Word in you. So if you don't have the Word in you, you're not abiding in Him. Now, in John fifteen four, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. So we have to abide in him because he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then we will bring forth much fruit. Not just a little bit, but much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So you see from the above verses we have to grow our love. Like fruit grows. No fruit starts out full grown. It starts out as a tiny bud and then a little flower and finally into the fruit. Now, our love must work the same way. We must talk about Jesus. We must study His Word. We must pray over the Word. And the more time we spend with Him, the more we love Him and His Word. And the more like Him we become. We are being made into His image when you spend time with the Word. If you don't study the Word, you, won't, you can't do this. I believe with all my heart, since I was a normal Baptist Sunday school teacher and deacon so many years, that when I got into the Word and for 10 years, from 5 to 15 hours every week, I spent just by myself with God and the Word of God, just reading and studying God's Word. Now, I did that for 10 years. I never dreamed that God would put me in a place to see the kind of miracles and healings that I've got to see Him do. But I believe it all happened because I abided in Him. And since I abided in Him and His love abided in me, then when I spoke what I'd learned from the Word, it brought forth all these wonderful healings and miracles and things. And I'm just like you, brother, when you see God do these wonderful things. Wow. Just like this couple over here, they knew Dr. Gary Young. She asked me about him tonight when they came in because they knew him. I'm telling you, what a blessing a few months ago to pray a prayer of faith on Sunday night for a man that's in his 53, 54, 55, however old Dr. Gary Young is, for him to fell out of a tree on Tuesday and broken his back and the hospital CT scans confirm his back is broken. And then for him to call me 
on Sunday night at 10 o'clock and I get to pray the prayer of faith for him and God instantly heals him and he can get up and run and play and next day we get to fly out there and spend two days with him and he picks us up at the airplane and takes us back and, and see him doing everything any other normal man 50 years old can do and in good health and go out in his gym and work out and pick up all them weights and everything but yet on Sunday night when he called he was laying there with a broken back couldn't do nothing but Pray the prayer of faith, and he's instantly healed. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? I love to see God do those kind of things. Don't you, Gina? I love it. Now, what do I have to do to get to see him do those kind of things? Got to abide in the king. And he's got to abide in me, and we've got to walk in this love walk. And if we do, wow, what a God we serve, huh, Michael? Woo, pays good dividends. You got to me too late, brother. Miracles work. <laughs> I've seen too many of them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, walking in the Spirit is walking in love. The next few verses, and these are the last ones we're going to talk about tonight, and then we're going to quit. Walking in the Spirit is walking in love. These next few verses tells us how to tell if you're walking in the Spirit or in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians five sixteen. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Verse 18 says, But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19 Now, the works of the flesh are these. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanliness. Lasciviousness. You know, that I looked that up, that lasciviousness, and it says it's given to or expressing lust. Exciting sexual desires. Wicked stuff, isn't it? Lustful and playful. Lewdness or just wickedness. All of those things revolve around the word lasciviousness. Every kind of evil thing when it comes to sex. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. Emulations. I thought, what is, I'm going to get a little bit better idea of what that means. So I looked that up and it says, effort or Ambition to equal or to surpass another. That's an emulation. The process or technique of emulating. Jealous rivalry. That's what that means. And then sedition. Conduct or language inciting rebellion. 
against the authority or of a state. Sedition. And then he, verse 21, he says, Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're walking in those things and you die in those things, guess what? Guess where you're going when you die? You ain't going to heaven, are you, Michael? Would that make a man straight his act up? I mean, if he wants to go to heaven. Now, I realize that there's not much difference between heaven and hell. <laughs> that doesn't really make any difference where we go, does it, huh? Oh, yes. Daughter said, I ain't going to that place. No. I, I'm geared. I'm walking in that love. What we got? Me and God. Well, I'm going to heaven. There ain't no way I'm going to that place. No. You know, you can't fathom. Just like I can't really conceive in my mind the magnificence of who God is. But you cannot conceive. The closest thing I can think about being able to conceive this is if you go home today and you turn your stove on or your electric or gas and you let the gas be burning or electric get red hot and then you take maybe your finger, say all four of your fingers and stick them over in that flame and just let them sit there for just a minute. One minute. Would that be an eternity, Michael? That would be an eternity. How about stick them over in five seconds? You, can you imagine the damage it would do in five seconds in a flame? Or if you had a red hot stove and you just stick them fingers on there and count to five? There ain't no way. I mean, you, but that's nothing compared to what hell's going to be like. Nothing. That man over in Luke 16, he said, Lord, let me go back and tell my five brothers about this place. Because they're headed to this place. He said, no, they got the Moses and the law and the prophets. He said, but they don't believe that. Let me, let me return or let somebody return from the dead and tell them. He said, even though someone shall return from the dead, there's going to be some that still ain't going to believe. And you know, we talk to people and tell them what this is all about. And that if you die without knowing Jesus, you're going to go to this place of eternal suffering and eternal torment and pain. I'm going to tell you, if that won't straighten you up, you've got a real problem. But there's some people the devil has so blinded their mind that that don't even soak in. You can tell them that they don't hear it. Ah, oh, Thurman, that's the way you believe. No, that's what the Word says. It don't make no difference what you say. There's a guy who told me the other day, he said, Well, Thurman, the Bible said it and I believe it, so that settles it. I said, No, that's not true. He said, what do you mean that's not true? church. I said, no, no. The Bible says it, and it don't matter whether you believe it or not. It's settled just because it's written in the book. You don't have to believe it. It's there, and it's forever settled in heaven. The Bible says that itself. But it says in verse 22, that talks about all the walking in the lust or the works of the flesh. Now, if you're doing all those things, he says you ain't going to heaven. Scary, isn't it? But I'm washed in the blood, Lord. He said, you may be washed in the blood, but if you're doing all them wicked things right there that I just said, he said, you don't know me. My children don't do those kind of things. That's the devil's kids. 
That's not my killed children. And he says, now, this is the way you can tell if you're mine. The fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. Now, this is our spirit that he's talking about there, not the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit is produced on the branch. The fruit of love is produced from our born-again human spirit because of the life that comes from abiding in the vine. The Lord Jesus Christ is the vine. Jesus made us an amazing statement in John 15:4. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. So love is the first fruit listed from the born-again human spirit. And it comes from abiding in Christ. There is no law against those that abide in Christ. And verse 24 says, And they have, and they that are Christ, now that's supposed to be us, if we are Christ, we have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. In the Spirit. Now then, do you meet that criteria? I hope you do. If you don't, what can you do about it? You can repent and change. You can do those things. And we're going to stop right there. It's just about 9 o'clock. That'll give you something to think about. To walk into God kind of love this week. It's going to be real easy. Easier. You can do it. Donna says, I got you now, David. You got to walk in love. (laughs) You do it anyway. I know there's not a problem there. I'm just kidding you. But Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful things that you put in your word. We thank you how you have expressed these things so clearly for us all through the word. So that leaves nothing for us to imagine. You've given us all the answers, everything. You've named it and labeled it in detail so we know exactly what we have to do. Now, Father, help us to walk in this God kind of love and be the kind of children that we're supposed to be and produce this God kind of love so that when we pray, you will be able to do great and mighty things. And, Lord, for all these people that are in here tonight that have already obtained that goal to a degree enough where they can see you begin to do some great and mighty works. I ask you to continue to grow that fruit so that the prayers and things that they pray for will get bigger and mightier. All of us, Lord, we want to see you glorified in what we do. Now, thank you, Father, for this evening and blessing us with this word of walking in the divine God kind of love. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.